Good morning, everybody. We'll be in question 33 this morning. We finally got through question 32 last week. It took a month, four episodes. <laughs> we'll be embarking on a new subject now, and we'll probably be in this for about a month and a half. There's a couple questions pertaining to this. We'll be talking about the effectual call, how when God calls a sinner, and it's his determination to save that sinner, that sinner will be saved because it's the work of God. If you would, turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'll read the question. The question is, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer is, why, I'm sorry, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. We're going to ask two questions this morning. Why must we be born again, and how we are born again? Let's pray and ask God's help before we start. Dear Lord, I, I lift your name on high this morning, Lord. I thank you. I thank you that you condescended unto your creation, Lord, who rebelled against you, and that you came and lived a perfect life, kept the law on our behalf, died the horrible death on the cross that we deserve, Lord, to where you could redeem us as your people, Lord. I pray for your help this morning, dear God. I pray that you would give me grace as I open your Bible and declare this truth. I pray to those, Lord, that hear this morning, Lord, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Above all, bless us with your presence this morning. May your Holy Spirit convict those who are outside of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, I do ask these things. Amen. Amen. John chapter 3. Why must we be born again? Let's look at verses 5 and 6 of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus right here. Verse 5 says, And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, a new birth must, be ha must happen in order for you to enter into the kingdom. If you would, turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. And we'll see how God prophesied through the prophet Ezekiel this very thing. In chapter 36, let's start in verse 13 and go to 27. Thus saith the Lord God, because they say unto you, Thy land devourest up men, and hast bereaved thy nations. Therefore thou shalt devour men no more, neither bereave thy nations any more, saith the Lord our God. Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen any more. Neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people any more. Neither shalt thou cause the nations to fall any more, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it 
by their own way, by their own doings. Their ways were before me was as clean uh, as uncleanness of a removed woman. That was just born of flesh is flesh. Where I pour, wherefore I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherein they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whether they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are going forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whether they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do this not for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen. This is one of the whys for God's honor and his glory to his name. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whether you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And how will he do this? He will do this by his own work. We'll see here in verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out from all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. You see the work of God here accomplished in himself for his own name's sake. In Revelation 21, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you, verse 27. And it says here that there shall in no wise enter into heaven anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Luke chapter 13, I'll read for you as well. Two verses here. And they said unto Jesus, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. There have been many a people that have made a profession, that have said a prayer, and have asked God to come into their heart. They have, may have went to a crusade or a revival meeting, but they turned back and just never any change in their life, never any desire for the things of God, never desire to 
open the doors of a church and be become part of the gathered together people of God. Matthew 22, if you turn there. Why must we be born again? Jesus tells a parable here. And it's a sobering truth that many shall try to enter in, but they will not be able. Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them, God, a parable, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying to them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage." But they made light of it and went their way, one to his form, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And listen to these next couple verses. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bid bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. For there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 14 here, For many are called, but few are chosen. The parable Jesus just spoke of there was a man that tried to get in another way. Not the way which God said must happen. In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah seen a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. He's seen Christ on his throne. And let's listen to Isaiah's confession when he's seen this beautiful thing. Verses 1 through 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And this was Isaiah's confession of all those glorious things that he had seen. Then he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people 
of unclean lips. For mine eyes had seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He knew that he was in flesh, standing in the presence of the most mighty King ever, and that will ever will be. And he was aware of his sins. He knew he was in the presence of a holy God. Verse 6, And flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Notice Isaiah didn't do anything to receive. It was something that was given to him. First Corinthians chapter 15, if you would turn there. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 46. Howbeit that was not first, first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Notice a contrast between two different people types here. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You must be born again. By the Spirit of God, you must experience the new birth that comes from above. We'll transition now into our second question. How are we born again? If you would turn to the book of Titus, chapter 3. And we'll see here that salvation, as Jonah said, is of the Lord, not of us, not of our decision, not of our mental intellect, but of God. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Actually, let me start in verse 4. It says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That parable that we read earlier there was a man that didn't have wedding garments on. The rest did. 
And those garments were given them by the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were washed in his blood. Ephesians chapter 2, you turn back a few pages. Ephesians chapter 2, let's look at verses 1 through 10. And it's speaking of us at the time of our salvation that how we were once of the flesh. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And notice here in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, he said this in verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. It's an inheritance, friends. An inheritance you don't work for. Inheritance is something that is given to you. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. An anchor that we can attach to. An anchor for the soul. Romans 3, if you turn there. Just a couple more verses. Romans 3, verses 24 and 26. Paul says to the Roman church here, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. 
Turn the page to the right. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. And because of this propitiation and this justification that we have in Christ Jesus by His work, we can see here in verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And this is what I want you to see in this text here, this hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And Titus chapter 1, I'm just going to read one verse to you here. Verse 2 it says, And hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And let's look at one more passage of Scripture this morning. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at two verses here. Verses 17... I'm sorry, three verses, 17 through 19. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Why do we have hope? Brothers and sisters, because God did not leave it up to us. He paid the price for you. He walked the walk that you could not walk. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. He sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And he promised that one day he would come again and get you. I'd like to read you a little paragraph right here from a Puritan. The author's unknown. It says, when God calls a man by his grace, he cannot but come. You may resist the minister's call, but you cannot the Spirit's call. The finger of the blessed Spirit can write upon the heart of stone, as once he wrote his law upon the tables of stone. God's words are creating words. When he says, let there be light, there was light. And when he says, let there be faith, it shall be so. When God called Paul, he answered to the call. And Paul said in Acts 26, 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God rides forth conquering in the chariot of his gospel. He makes the blind eyes to see and the stony heart to bleed. 
If God will call a man, nothing shall lie in the way to hinder. Difficulties shall be united. The powers of hell shall disband. But who has resisted his will? As Paul said in Romans 9, 19. In Psalm 107, verse 6, it says that God bends the iron sinew and cuts asunder the gates of brass. When the Lord touches a man's heart by his spirit, all proud imaginations are brought down and the fort royal of the will yields to God. Amen. Let's dismiss. Father, we do thank you, Lord. We, we thank you that you are a good God. And as your scripture teaches that you have written a book from the foundation of the world, the Lamb's book of life, and all those who you wrote in that book, they belong to you and you will come get them throughout time. We rest in that and we have hope in that, dear Lord, that you are able and you are willing and you will conquer that which you said you will. We praise you for it and we give you thanks. We pray for the rest of this morning's service, Lord, with the children, the preaching hour, and the next hour. May you be magnified. May you be glorified above all things. In Christ's name we do pray and ask it. Amen.